Well, hey, if this is your first uh, Sunday with us, thanks for being here. I actually met a couple who were here for the first time. So if that's you as well, if you're here for the first time with us, thank you for joining us at MCC. My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, if you're watching us online, thank you so much for joining us there as well. Uh, last week, we began looking at relationships in our lives, and we're calling this series Messy, right? Because loving other people isn't easy. And I'm going to make uh, an assumption, even though my mom told me what happens when you assume, right? I don't know if your mom told you what happens when we assume uh, or when I assume, but, uh, but I'm going to, to make an assumption anyway uh, that everyone in the room, either right now or in their past, maybe not even their distant past, their, their you know, right now kind of past, have some kind of a mess in one of your relationships. Last week, Adam reminded us that from the very beginning, all the way back in Genesis, creation account, Garden of Eden, we are hardwired for relationships. They are an important part of our lives, but if we want to do them well, we have to approach them the way Jesus did. If you missed that message, I want to encourage you to go to our website and check that out. Adam did a great job uh, explaining that to us. Today, we're going to look at what God said is the second most important relationship that we can have in our lives. Listen, when I do premarital counseling, uh, in our first session, we talk about God's vision for marriage, for our marriage, and it's that a man and woman will come together, uh, that they will have this unique bond, that there will be this unique intimacy that is not going to be found in any other relationship that they have, This in any other human relationship. It's never, meant, uh, never simply just get together. God's dream is not that you would procreate and then just coexist for 50 years. From the very beginning, it has always been that two will become one, and there will be this path toward intimacy and connectedness. And it's not just back in Genesis, it's all throughout Scripture. Check out what we read in Ecclesiastes, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. When the author of Proverbs, right, when we look at what, what he has to say in Proverbs 5, he says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving doe, a graceful deer. Let her breasts satisfy you always. Can you believe that's in the Bible, right? Uh, all right, uh, where was I? All right, may you always be captivated, you know, by her love. So God's vision was never just coexist. But check out what Max Lucado said. It's on your notes if you've got those handy. He said, Satan won't suddenly steal your home from you. He'll do something far worse. He'll paint it with a familiar coat of drabness. He'll replace evening gowns with bathrobes and nights on the town with evenings in the recliner and romance with routine. He'll scatter the dust of yesterday over the wedding pictures in the hallway until they become a memory of another couple in another time. And at a minimum, that's boring. And at worst, this is why marriage relationships become messy. So how do we make sure that doesn't happen to us? Or how do we make sure that doesn't happen to us again? And listen, if you are not married, I know these are the kind of messages that you most likely hate. Uh, uh, maybe it's because you want to be married and you just aren't. You haven't been, you aren't, and there's no prospects on the horizon. Or maybe, maybe it's because you're divorced and it was not what you, you weren't the one. You, you, you didn't want the divorce and yet that's where you find yourself today. Or maybe your husband or your wife has passed away. Listen, I have friends. I have friends, and the loneliness just seems to penetrate their soul. 
like a raw wind on a cold day. Listen, can I encourage you to not tune out? In part because you know people who are married and you can be an encouragement to them as they invest in their spouses. And maybe, and I'm not trying to be sneaky or devious, not that I have anything against being sneaky or devious, all right? But if you listen for God's heart and what he's saying to us today, if your heart is hurting, you just might find some healing for that hurt when you're reminded of what your father, your dad wants for you in your relationships. So we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, which by the way, this is the same text we'll be looking at this Wednesday night in Midweek Connect. If you've not been there yet, you would like to, love to have you. Same text, uh, we'll be approaching it in a different way this Wednesday, but let's take a look at it. Wives, in the same way, we're just going to stop right there so we can kind of get our bearings on why he says that, uh, in the same way as what? Peter is referring back to the, uh, to the chapter prior to this. So if your Bible is open, just flip back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, and Peter is talking about how Jesus submitted to God's will, and when we follow him as Christians, we demonstrate a proper attitude in both our relationship to the government, that's what he talked about in verses 13 to 17, and then also in the workplace, verses 18 to 20. And then he goes on to say that the family, in the same way, he's about to drag this idea into our homes, into our family relationship. It's another realm where we need to follow Jesus' example in our relationships, which again is what Adam talked about last week. So 1 Peter 3, let's start all over again. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So you know what can make marriage messy just right off the bat? Uh, Peter's not writing to Christian couples. At least not all of them were. Wives, he says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your own husbands so that what? If any of them do not believe the word, Peter is addressing an issue that arose as Christianity spread throughout Asia Minor, which is where this letter was sent. And as people became Christians, they didn't always do so as couples, which, by the way, can cause problems, if you didn't know that already, which is why Paul would also write, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. In other words, if you're a Christian, don't marry a non-Christian. So, side note, and if you are not yet married, I hope that you will listen up because this might be your next step in your faith. So if you're not married yet, please hear this. It's on your notes. I want to make sure you get this. You can avoid some messes and lessen other messes in your life moving forward by marrying someone who loves Jesus. Peter is addressing those who are already married. Now, because of their society... If the husband became a Christian, he would automatically bring his wife and family with him into the church. But the attitude in the first century was that no woman would dare make any decisions for herself. And if she decided to follow a religion that was different than her husband's, it would cause all kinds of problems. There may be some here at MCC who are facing problems in your home because of this very issue. Your husband or your wife is not a follower of Jesus, and it creates messes in your home because you are. Peter writes, the most effective way for a Christian woman, and I would add for a Christian man, to win their spouse to Christ is by constantly living, consistently living the gospel in their presence over the long haul. So on your notes, 
And again, for some, this may be the, your next step. So if this is something that's not happening, I want to make sure that you know this is your next step. My marriage is less messy when I live my faith. I want to make sure you get that. When you live your faith. Notice what Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say that, that your husband will be won over by your preaching. He doesn't say that your husband or wife will be won over by your arguing. Proverbs 25 reminds us, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold on settings of silver. Well-placed, well-chosen, well-timed words help. That's not what Peter's talking about. The woman that Peter is talking about uh, would perhaps sound a little bit more like Proverbs 19. A quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. Again, I can't believe that's in the Bible. You know, Peter is giving practical advice. And here it is. No one, no one, no one, no one has ever been nagged into the kingdom of God. The most effective way for a man or a woman to win their spouse to Jesus is by constantly living the gospel out in their presence over the long haul where godly uh, behavior is constantly on display which, again, is, is true for all of us across the board. And the side benefit is that our children get to watch what it looks like to have a, a relationship with Jesus, a following of Jesus lived out right in front of them. Uh, Davida Dawson said that it had been a real busy day in their Costa Mesa home out in California, but she had six children and one on the way, so it's always kind of crazy. But on this day, she said, I was having trouble doing even routine chores all because of one little boy, Len, who was three years old at the time, was on her heels no matter where she went. She said, whenever I stopped to do something and I turned around, I'd trip over him. Several times I patiently suggested fun activities that he might enjoy doing somewhere else, right? She said, I, wouldn't you like to play on the swing set? But he would smile, this little innocent smile, and say, oh, that's all right, Mommy. I'd rather be here with you, right? And then he continued to follow her around the house. She said, after stepping on his toes for the fifth time, I began to lose my patience, and I insisted that he go outside and play with the other kids. And when I asked him why he was acting this way, she said he looked up at me with those sweet green eyes and said, you know, Mommy, in Sunday school, our teacher told me to walk in Jesus' footsteps, but I can't see him, so I'm following you. I know, right? The, the Greek word for see in verse 2, if you're looking at your passage, is the word for careful observation. It means a close look. It, it's For a sports fan, it's like watching the instant replay on a close call. And single moms, by the way, I hope you can hear that because those of you who are sharing your faith with your husband or your wife and your children, I hope you find encouragement in that. And those of you who have husbands who are men of God, and by that, I want to be real clear. I don't mean they just come to church with you. I mean, they're following Jesus. They still need to see your purity. They still need to see the reverence of God in your life. Okay, verse 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. These are, listen, these are some great verses that have been highly abused uh, by preachers throughout the years. Because look, look, it says braided hair. Bra you have braided hair. Are you, you came to church with braided hair. Are you kidding me this morning? Gold jewelry. What are we doing? 
I thought we were Christians here, right? Some folks conclude that this verse completely prohibits wearing jewelry or attractive hairstyles of any kind. I just want to make it real clear. That's not Peter's intent. As a matter of fact, it's what's, the reason we know that is because of what he says next. In the English, it says fine clothes. Do you see that? I want to let you in on a secret. The original Greek language doesn't have the word fine in front of clothes. It just simply says clothes. So if you say these verses totally prohibit wearing jewelry or braided hair, by the same reasoning, you have to conclude that it prohibits wearing clothing at all, which is not part of our dress code here at MCC. <laughs> and you've probably never heard, never heard a sermon on, you know, that. So uh, check this out on your notes. My marriage is less messy. And again, this might be the next step in your walk with Jesus when I work on my inner self. Because to be clear, Peter is not saying that outward appearances don't matter. Matter of fact, I read about a husband who took his sick wife to the doctor, and the doctor was shocked by her appearance. And he said, I don't like the looks of your wife. And he said, well, I don't either, doc, but she's great with the kids. Listen, uh, I know I can't believe that's in the Bible either. Uh, Peter's point, right? <laughs> I need a bigger pulpit, something to hide behind. Peter's point isn't that outward adornment is wrong. It's that it's not enough. The question is, do we spend as much time working on the inside as we do on the outside? There's nothing wrong with looking your best, but an attractive body without a healthy spirit is like a dessert that's all icing, but there's no cake. Look at what Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Peter says, your inner self. Literally, the words mean the hidden person of the heart. He's asking us to work on the hidden person of our heart. Gentle means not insistent on your own rights, not pushy, not demanding, not selfishly assertive. Actually, it's the same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are the meek. Quiet is used to describe the way all of us are called to live, should, that we should strive to lead peaceful and quiet lives. The truly beautiful woman knows how to control herself calmly. Katie Barnes said there was a couple that she would uh, never forget. She was a hospital admitting clerk, and the husband was a heart attack victim, and he was brought in through the ER, of course, and was immediately whisked away to the back. And uh, hours later, uh, his wife was allowed to see him, and when she walked in, I mean, he was hooked up to every machine she could imagine. Wires were everywhere. Noises were going all over the place, blips and hisses and beeps. She said, I tiptoed over to his bed and bending over him, I whispered in his ear, George, I'm here. And then I kissed him on the cheek. She said, suddenly there was this blippity blip blip on the machine. And later she would say, he was okay, but after 47 years of marriage, it's just nice to know that I can still make his heart skip a beat when I kiss him, you know. After 47 years of marriage, you know what makes your spouse's heart skip a beat? And it's not that your outward appearance isn't important, but homes are not built merely on outward appearance but it is on the hidden person of your heart, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. Again, not just for women. Men, that's us too. 
Verse 5. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Listen, it's interesting. It's the first thing that Peter mentions, and it's the last thing that he mentions. And then he weaves this thread all the way through everything he says in there as well. So here you are. It's on your notes. My marriage is less messy. And again, if this, if this is something you're not experiencing, you're not doing this is your next step in your walk with Jesus. It's less messy when I work on my attitude, right? The attitude that makes your way into your actions is submission. And I know, I know, I know that word is a, it leaves a bad taste in some mouths because there have been so many who have abused these passages to justify chauvinism and the mistreatment of window of, of, whim, of women. And it can sour your attitude. I mean, I received an email one time that said, hey, if they can put a man on the moon, they should be able to put all of them up there, right? I mean, I received that. Uh, listen, the, the, the root meaning of the Greek word to submit means to arrange oneself under. So ladies, he's not telling you uh, that you are to be inferior to your husbands. Nowhere does scripture say that you should be a doormat for your husband to wipe his feet on or to walk all over. And I'll point out one more word in verse 6. Like Sarah obeyed Abraham. That word obeyed literally means to pay close attention to someone. It's the idea of attending to someone's needs. Peter is saying marriage is less messy. If I have this attitude toward my husband that Jesus has towards his father in heaven, which allowed him, by the way, to die for you and me. Roderick McFarlane wrote on her golden anniversary, golden anniversary my grandmother revealed the secret of her long and happy marriage. She said, I'm on our wedding day, I decided to choose 10 of my husband's faults, which for the sake of our marriage, I would overlook. And one of the guests at the party said, really, what were some of the faults of your husband that were on that list? And she said, to tell you the truth, I never did get around to listing them. But whenever my husband did something that would make me mad, I would say, lucky for him, that's one of the 10. <laughs> and I just want to say, that's the attitude. There's something about that. Again, this goes both ways. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands. Now, the next is addressed to husbands, but like the others, it applies to all of us. Verse 7, husbands in the same way. Again, let me just say, it's pointing back to, to chapter 2, verse 13, following Jesus' example. In the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The New American Standard Version says, live with them in an understanding way. The Greek literally says, you husbands too must know how to live with a woman. So, you want your marriage relationship to be a little less messy? Uh, and this may be, if you're not doing this, this is your next step in your walk with Jesus. It's less messy when I know my spouse, when I know my wife, when I know my husband. What God is saying is that marriage is one long process of education. The success of dwelling, guys, the success of dwelling with our wives will be in direct proportion to how well we know her. We cannot just drift along. Life doesn't just happen to us. We have to be attentive. We have to be thoughtful. We have to spend time thinking about our wife's unique personality, her spiritual gifts, her needs. And I'm not sure if all or even most husbands or wives do that. Let me say that another way. I'm curious how many of us in the room this morning who are followers of Jesus pay that kind of attention to our spouse. 
knowing your wife includes those things that others don't and will never know about her because she has revealed them only to you. The things that frighten her in this life, the things that she cares deeply about, her disappointments as well as her expectations, her scars and her secrets and her thoughts and her dreams. That's what it means to know your wife. And ladies, that's what it means to know your husband because we won't show them to other people as well. And it calls for a sensitive spirit. It calls for this willingness to be involved in watching and listening and communicating and caring. Husbands, your wives need to understand and they need to know this is important to you. Let me say that again. Husbands, your wives need to know this is important to you. So your next step for the next seven days, so write this down. You don't look like you're ready to write it down. I'm going to stand here until you're ready to write it down. Get your pens out. Write this down. For the next seven days, your job is to make a list. This is everybody. This is not, this might be your next, this is your next step. Make a list of 10 great things about your spouse. And ask God to be in this with you, to open your eyes. You may begin to see things that you've overlooked in who they are and how special they are. You may be, you may be able to see things that you've taken for granted as part of your act of worship next week. When you come here, you sit down in your seat, and before we start singing, as an act, the very first act of worship, you give that list to your spouse. That's your first act of worship next week, all right? Last one. My marriage is less messy when I honor my spouse. Peter says it this way, and treat them with respect. That word treat means to assign. It means the husband is to assign his wife a place of honor. And I've shared this with you before, uh, but to encourage you, let me remind you, the first person I pray for every morning, it's in my journal, the first person I pray for is me. I, I pray for my relationship with, with Jesus. I ask God to help me become more like him today than I was yesterday and to help me be the husband that Sandy deserves. It's like the first thing that I pray for. Why do I pray for me first? It's the airplane speech. If there is a loss of cabin pressure, you will see these cups fall out of the ceiling. Don't freak out. Uh, you're, put, you're to put that mask on. If you're traveling with a child or someone who acts like a child, right, who are you supposed to put the mask on first? Yourself. You put the mask on yourself first. The first person you pray for is you. The second person I pray for is Sandy. You better believe it. I pray for her walk with Jesus. I talk to God. I don't know what she's in her, her quiet time is in another part of the house. I pray about what she's listening to. I, I pray about specifically things that are going on in her life because I, I'm aware of what's happening and what she's going to be doing that day and people she's going to meet and conversations. Da, da, da. So I pray about that. Why do I pray for Sandy second? Because I love her most. If you ever wonder where you fall in the priority list in my life, I'm telling you now, it's somewhere after God and Sandy. They will always be one and two. Our staff was together at a leadership conference this past week, and one of the speakers said, and just so you know, I agree 100% with them, but he said, listen, at our church, my wife and I are no more important than anyone else, but she's the most important thing to me ever. We're no different than anyone else when it comes to importance in the church. But she is more important to me than anything. And guys, if you've never said that to your wife, 
and I mean said those words, if you have never said to her outside of my relationship with Jesus, you are the most important person in my life, and I'm asking Jesus to help me know how to love you best. If you've never told her that, before you leave our parking lot today, you need to say those words. I don't mean when you get home, oh, did you hear that? Before you leave our parking lot, you tell your wife how much she means to you. She needs to hear that. She needs to know that, ladies, you need to tell your husband that right after Jesus, he's next on your list. He's the most important person in your life, after your relationship with Jesus. Ephesians 5 says this, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your next step, every morning and evening, you share that list of 10 with, your, with God because it's, it's a prayer at this point. You're sharing that list of 10, what you think is great about your husband, what's great about your wife. You share those with God as you read it to him. And then next Sunday, what are you going to do? Well, I knew you should have wrote that down. Listen, write that down. Next week, what are you going to do? You are going to give it to them. And you better be here too. That's all I got to say. Mike Bro said this, who's a pastor in Chicagoland. I was coaching basketball for eighth graders one year, and a kid on my team, his dad died of a heart attack suddenly while he was out cutting the grass. He said it was, it was a tough funeral to do. He said, I've never had anyone say this to me before ever. He said, I sat down to talk with his widow and she just blurted out with a big smile on her face. She said, you know what? Someday I think I'm going to get remarried. And bro said, I was thinking to myself, seriously? I mean, we just put him in the ground. And then she said, because he made it so fun to be married, I want to do that again. Because he made it so fun, because she made it so fun to be married. I want to have that in my life again. Let me ask you a question about that marriage relationship, the lady and her husband. Do you suppose it was mess-free? No. It's not even possible to be mess-free in a relationship because relationships are messy. But, but we should make marriage so fun for our spouse that if anything ever happens to us, they would say, man, what I had with them was so great and so fun. I kind of want that in my life again because that's what God wants for all of us. So when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus uh, in chapter 5, so check this out. It's all about marriage. Verse 1 all the way down to verse 32, marriage, 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 marriage. Husbands do this, wives do that. Here's the way husbands love their wives. Wives, here's how you love your husbands. Husbands, wives, husbands, wives. Illustration, picture of what this looks like, blah, 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 blah. 31 verses, verse 32. Marriage, 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 marriage to verse 32. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's interesting to me that when Paul is trying to paint a picture of what our relationship with Jesus is supposed to look like, he said, he, 
He said it should be patterned after the closest human relationship that we have because we can see that. We know what that's supposed to be. Our relationship with Jesus is supposed to be kind of like that, unlike any other relationship we have in our whole life, ever had, ever will have. This is what your relationship with Jesus is supposed to look like. And so, and so each week we stop. If this is your first time here, we stop to remember and to recommit our lives to our relationship with Jesus so that we will remember the price Jesus paid for us to show us, to remind us how much he treasures us. And it reminds us to recommit ourselves to this ideal, husbands, that we will love our wives just the way Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her, gave his life up for her, and that wives will love our husbands just as the church will, will submit to our husbands as the church submits to Jesus. Because when our husbands, when husbands, when we love our wives like that, they can't help but respond like that. When we love them the way Jesus loves the church and would do everything including die for her. And so we remember right now. Let's go to him. Father, thank you for this memory, this reminder, this memorial. And Father, our, our, our desire today is as we hold this bread that reminds us, uh, Jesus, of your body that was broken on the cross and this cup that holds juice that reminds us of your blood that you willingly shed for our behalf for our sins, not because, Jesus, you did anything wrong. You didn't do anything wrong, but, we, but for our sins. You love us so much that you would allow yourself to be brutally murdered for us. And so we come to remember that so that we know how much you value us. And our prayer is that that will be reciprocated by us to you that we will give you our lives as you gave yours for us, that we'll give ours to you. And we will walk with you. We will follow you. And it will make its way right into our homes so that husbands and wives love each other in a way that it reflects the kingdom of God. And so, God, we pray for that just now as we come to this time where, Jesus, we remember what you did for us on the cross, our sins that needed forgiven, not forgotten, not, not excused, forgiven. Thank you for loving us so much. May the way you have shown love to us be the way we show love to each other as we remember now. In Jesus' name.